Welcome to Triple Feature, everybody. Welcome. Hello, hello. Um, my name is Emma, and that I, is... I am Freddie. And that is... Sea Bear. <laughs> and together we make Triple Feature, uh, a podcast for cinephiles where three friends come together to share our thoughts on movies that we pick and movies that are coming out uh, in theaters, new releases, things like that. Our latest episode, we reviewed Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. And now that it's November, we're moving on to a new theme, and that is Vietnam November. So uh, the three of us are going to choose a movie that fits the Vietnam November theme. We'll get into what that means and why we did that and all that later. Um, but today, after we get talking about our recently watched, we are going to talk about Connor's pick, Kong, Skull Island from 2017. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're getting into our recently watched, and what's fun is that this week we all watched the same film. Oh, y'all watched it? We all watched it. So, um, yes, we did. Since since it was the only thing that Freddie watched, that's me. According to <laughs> the Freddie, what anyway. have you watched? <laughs> um, I guess we'll start with you this week. Okay. So that we can have this conversation now. Yeah. All right, Freddie, we're going to start with you. What have you recently watched since the last time we got together and talked? I watched the <laughs> rather polarizing, to say the least, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. Oh, boy. That's where I want to be. It really has my name on it. It's about you, actually. Yeah, it was me the whole time. Psych. <laughs> Y'all thought that ending was for real? It was me all along. <laughs> Um, Hi, I'm the problem. It, it me. wasn't me. Just, just for context, based on the ending of that movie, it wasn't me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I watched Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, so then you both watched it as well. So I that's did, cool. Yeah. We have a little mini. We have a little mini movie to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I gave it a two and a half star out of five on Letterboxd, and. The thing that I thought was really interesting about it is um, I, I don't think it's the greatest movie, but the reactions to it are really like one way or the other. And yeah. I think that it is uh, kind of indicative of how like little people like really want to have a discussion about movies. So it's like there's the there's the Five Nights at Freddy's stands that like vehemently defend uh the movie like no matter what they're like this is a 10 out of 10 movie and i'm like okay but we all know that it isn't like really 10 out of 10 but it's fine to it's fine to enjoy that movie and really like it and have it mean a lot to you but like there's no there's like no objectivity in that take you know what i mean there's like no substance to it and then yeah. on the flip side of that a lot of the critical reception is like this is hot garbage and it sucks <laughs> and it has no merit 
and it's garbage, <laughs> don't see it. I'm like, well, you also have provided like no context to why you think this movie isn't good other than you saying it sucks. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's way more interesting to talk about the movie than that. Because um, like my, 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 my thesis on it is that I think it is a movie that has a lot of individually talented people working on it. Um, but yes. there is no unified vision that makes all of that work together. So a lot of the elements are really messy, but it's almost like you can see it there. Um, I don't, we can get a little more into it. Uh, if I don't know if you all have anything you want to say right off the bat before that, but um, I just think I don't <laughs> know. I, I feel like I need to, to that. Yeah, I think I need to be the last person that talks about this. Right. I mean, to like your point of what you're saying, Freddie, of like, yeah, like it feels like a like a hodgepodge of stuff. Like it, it, Jason Bloom. This is a Blumhouse picture, so this is the first time that we've gotten the actual Five Nights at Freddy's movie. The last one that tried to do it was Willy's Wonderland, the Nicolas Cage movie that was a quote unquote like not spiritual successor. It was just a ripoff of Five Nights at Freddy's, and it wasn't good. Because the fans are like, well, this isn't Freddy. This isn't like what the games represent. And so Jason Bloom, when they announced that they were going to do the movie, he basically just straight up said, this is for the fans. And that's what seems like the critical responses is that like the audience is like in love with it because it's like, oh, this is what this is what it is. But like a tweet that got put out from Jenny, Jenny Nicholson, who's a YouTuber, she kind of put it specifically of like, Five Nights at Freddy's and Fifty Shades of Grey are basically parallel movies. Like, uh, like person with no storytelling experience ends up in charge of wildly of a viable franchise, and the fan base is so obsessed with the filmmakers are forced to adhere to terrible story decisions the creators casually made years ago. And because of that, it's like that's what the movie is like. At at is trying to appear is that it's trying to be a movie, but it's also trying to like continue the lore that is the games because one of the writers is the creator of the games and so like it's a little yeah. like messy in that way of like well like yes you're trying to make a, a movie with the josh uh henderson's character of of josh like Hutcherson. him yeah josh hutcherson's uh with him and his sister and his missing you know brother but then also when they go to freddie fazbear it's just straight up the game like it's just straight up game war. It's just straight up Matt Matt Pat theory. Like, yeah. like what what does this what does this mean? <laughs> which also he had a cameo uh, in, yeah. which was great. Yep. But and like it, but as... but but it's just muddled because it's just like you're trying to appease both fans, and I think that's where like it kind of gets a little bit messy. And I see like where 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 you're at, Freddie. Of like it, it's an interesting movie at that point. Yeah, and I have some I have some stuff to say off of that. Do, is there anything you want to say though, Emma? Um. I have. I have a feeling you love this movie. Uh, <laughs> I tend to be well, very. I, quiet. I gave it. I tend to be I very quiet about movies that I don't like. Um, <clears throat> I have no prerequisite knowledge about Five Nights at Freddy's. I what? heard about this title for the first time this year when I saw that the movie was coming out. I didn't know it was a game. I'm not a gamer. I'm not into games. I played Minecraft during the pandemic. That's as much gaming as I've ever done. 
in my life, <laughs> except for when I was a child. I did play games when I was a child, but I, yeah, I'm just, I'm not into the game world. Um, and it was pretty bad. It was really bad. It was a very, very bad movie. It was really boring. It wasn't very scary and it wasn't very funny. It was, it, I felt like the whole thing was just flatlined the whole time and nothing interesting was happening at all. But I also don't, I'm also just not a fan of these things. And so I think if you played the game or I think if you liked this story and you like these characters there's probably something interesting happening but as a non-fan it wasn't interesting at all and so I wonder like I do think you should make movies for fans but you should also make movies that are appealing to other people as well and that are also made well and are good and so I gave it a two star it's it's a four out of ten it's a fail big yeah. fail in my book I think that it is so I think saying that we made this movie for the fans is like kind of a cop out, cop out. <laughs> yeah 100% I think it's just like it's it becomes well, an yeah. excuse for it becomes an excuse for like shifting mediums and not and not like really respecting the medium that you shifted to well, and like specifically with the the Josh Hutcherson storyline so here's the thing like I didn't play the Five Nights at Freddy's games, but I have watched a yeah, ridiculous so you know amount. Yeah, yeah, I've watched a, like a ridiculous amount of YouTube videos for some reason. I've had like m mediocre interest in Five Nights at Freddy's, but I just know too much about the lore of this fucking game series at this point. But I played the games. The thing is, it's like you have Josh Hutcherson's character is. Like, that whole side of the story is made entirely for this movie. And then the Five Nights at Freddy's part of the movie is the lore from the games. And it's, like, specifically when they made it, they were saying, like, this is meant to be based on the first game. But the police officer character is from, like, the fifth game or something like that. Yes. That character is from a different game. So they're, like, they're mixing those two parts of lore together. But then the Josh Hutcherson lore and the five nights at freddy's lore they they tie them together with like the child abduction subplot right but they just because it's 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 messy it's the the story is messy and so there's part there's plot lines they just they just leave mm -hmm. the ant the ant they're yeah, like, I'm like there's so much well, she's coming back so the thing is it's like but like did nobody investigate what happened to her like i feel like the well, Josh Hutcher Hutcherson character would be suspect number one, and he's just going about his day visiting homegirl in the hospital. And so I just think it's pretty lazy writing and storytelling. Yeah. Well, well and then you have... Oh, what are you going to say? Well, so I played the games. <laughs> I played up to three and then I, like, because the games came out when I was in middle school. So I feel like, Emma, you're a lot older than me. <laughs> I'm not that not much older than you. Jeez. <laughs> All right, chill. But, chill out. But, like, but for me, like, these games were prime for, like, middle schoolers. And that's when the game the games came out, especially Five Nights at Freddy's 1. 
and they were just like slender man where it's just a scare game it, it was it was mainly made for like you that youtube let's play era of like youtuber gets scared gets big big views and so i remember playing at least till three with like friends and then from there i watched at least four and five from like markiplier probably and stuff but like the lore wise like i couldn't tell you what the lore is because like i haven't been up to date on that since probably like high school but like with that it's like there were like some things where i'm like oh that's that character like oh they're like it's night three so that means like foxy will come out to to play and foxy's like a hard character to like get by and that's where like the fan stuff interacts but then like with the ant character specifically the thing that some people like didn't get and it's something where like yeah they didn't really like like the character wise or at least like explain it a lot is that the character dies from golden freddy it wasn't actually freddy from the finance of freddy thing it's a different character that kills the ant i know emma's like looking at me like what the fuck it is crazy and it's something in this there's there's so much stuff there's so much stuff and there's so much lore and i understand that it's a lot harder for for a non-fan but it's something where like i think that's the discourse is that the fans are not just take they're taking this movie at face value and seeing the potential of the movies they're seeing the future and going, oh, if these movies keep making more money, we can get to like, like whatever happens in these games, you know, lore wise. And so yeah. they're thinking more of like a head versus like what critics are seeing face value, like you, Emma, of like, this is a dog shit movie. Like, why would they make sequels <laughs> to this? <laughs> and so like, I think like that's, that's the parallax. And for like your point, Freddie, of like, it's for the fans and it's a cop out. What I meant to say was, is that what, Jason Bloom was kind of hinting at is that that what they meant by that was that that's why they got the Jim Henson company to do the animatronics and pu- and puppeteers is that they weren't yeah, going like, the to they weren't going to be CG they weren't going to be CG blobs they weren't going to be you know it wasn't going to be like weird it, it wasn't going to be like cop outs in the vein of like it kind of looks like Freddy it's like these look like what they look like in the game and the, and like we're saying like that's the best part of the movie is the animatronics and special effects there. Yeah. And so it's, you have like the animatronics are like the, the centerpiece for this whole movie and they look great. It's just like all of this stuff that surrounds it. It doesn't know. It doesn't know what it's doing. And I think the issue with fans saying like, okay, we see the potential of it is like, I mean, I don't think that it's all, I don't think it's a bit like a fantastic movie, but (laughs) I, yeah. I mean, I can see the potential and I don't, but I don't need to, I don't need to pretend like it's like a 10 out of 10 movie to see that yeah. because I think now that they have sort of like introduced the the lore of this universe in a movie setting, if they, it seems like more so when they do a sequel to this movie, they have They're less gonna. baggage that they have to pick up to get the thing going. And maybe they can do more story-wise without having to worry about, like, how do we tie general audiences into this story, which was the Josh Hutcherson character, which they dropped the ball on. Because it was like, you also have the babysitter and all of them. And it's like, there's there's only technically one person in this that's supposed to be in this building that isn't a police officer. And there's there's dead people in this building now. Sorry, spoilers. But it's so it's like I mean. <laughs> it's like this guy has a lot of, you know, potentially dead people 
in places that he's like the only he's the only person that's supposed to be there so they just kind of leave that and they don't go back to it um and so like that whole that's where i'm like okay they had that they had that lore and like i can see what they're doing i can see how they wanted to have this through line to get people that aren't familiar into it but then the five nights at freddy's lore is like it's like there's so it's many bonkers. games there's novels written by the guy that made the games the thing that's yep. funny is the the fans even when they said when they it's like i was watching one guy's video i wish i could remember it he was talking about how he was like yeah i remember seeing we all saw that you know scott crawford is a lead writer on this and everybody's like great because this guy writes messy fucking lore yeah and that's, that's like what, that's and what so, the and tweet it, was saying yeah, yeah, and that's like the that's like the thing everybody knows it, and so it's like, well, yeah. but why would you want? So you guys already know, know. that he's not like a he's not like a super great writer, but you <laughs> like his game design, so like don't I mean be critical it's the of sad that. reality be critical of I know that, you know yeah so, it's it's okay yeah. to have critiques even if you like it yeah and yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong and that's what I'm saying I'm like I wish that there was more because so many people are talking about it. So many people are talking about it in like f- the most frivolous, like low stakes. I have nothing. It's like the, you don't want to say anything about it. And it's like, I'm like, we could do better than that, guys. Right. We could do better than that. And so like. It's almost when, like you're making excuses for it instead of critiquing it. Yeah. You're like making excuses for it or you're making excuses. It's like, you know what? It's not even worth my time to talk about. Fair. And it's like, then why did you watch it in the first place? You know what I mean? So I just, there's a lot of things that I think are messy more than just the story. Like in my, in my letterbox review, I talk about the, the cinematography, the cinematographer for this movie I would argue is clearly somebody that knows his way around can- a camera and composition because there are a lot of striking shots in this movie. The problem is there are way too many shots in this movie that are overly complex for no reason. And the big one that I talk about is when <laughs> he has to clean... <laughs> it's him picking up the sign when he has to clean yeah. up the restaurant afterwards and they do that really dramatic where the camera turns 90 degrees with him picking up the sign why does it do that that sign isn't important yeah. why do we have a shot that is so dynamic and so like it stands out i still cool. think about it it's like <laughs> yeah it's cool put that in a part of the movie where <laughs> it fucking matters like don't put it in the throwaway montage scene where he's cleaning up the restaurant you know and then they do the vent thing the vent thing where the cupcakes running through and yeah. it run- I'm oh, like this is a cool. cool shot it's a POV shot of the cupcake this is a big scene in the movie it makes sense for this cinematography to be so flashy here but when you put it everywhere you water everything else down because nothing stands out in comparison like you does that make sense like there yes. is no well, yeah it does yeah it's it's doing it's doing too much when it doesn't need to yeah I think I think a lot of it is like there is a younger audience mm-hmm. for this movie and they are trying to be flashy and I've heard a lot of discussions about how Five Nights at Freddy's is supposed to be like a gateway horror for young people. Yeah. And yeah. and I think there's something to be said for that. You know, like if if that's 
where you want your children to start watching horror films. I mean, I think. I mean, I, I think we should just have better standards. But that, and I that's, guess that's like... that's my take as well. I, the thing the thing that's strange to me about Five Nights and Freddy's in general is it is like most of the target demo for it is like young children. But like the lore of this game is not for young children. It's like got yeah, it's child dark. abduction yeah. and child murder and like all this really heavy stuff in it. Um, and so it is like very strange that it you know it it has because they it don't has treat element, but it just they don't treat yeah. children like children. Children are constantly like attracted to scary stuff, horror. Like when I was a yeah. kid, I loved Goosebumps. I loved horror stuff. Like it, I remember my aunts and uncles being like, "Why? Why is Connor watching Goosebumps? That's too scary. Like he shouldn't yeah. be watching that." But it's like I I went to it because it's a little bit taboo. That's my like my review for Five Nights at Freddy's was I gave it a six out of ten. I feel a little bit I, I'm a little bit more positive than Baby Freddy. I thought it was fi- I also thought it was fine. I liked it because it made me reminisce about the games. I do like the animatronics, I like the Jim Henson company. But my biggest takeaway was like like Emma saying is like. I hope that this is a gateway for kids to get into more horror movies. And I don't think that this should be a better standard. It's something where, like, it's how I felt about Teen Titans Go of, like, hopefully Teen Titans Go is a gateway for kids to start reading more comic books or get into superheroes. You know, maybe adults don't like it, but at least, like, kids are watching it and now may get into Batman or Superman and all these other superheroes. So, like, if Five Nights at Freddy's movie gets kids to watch halloween or nightmare on elm street or like get into more of like the classics and stuff like it's a slow gateway into it it's like that's what films those kind of taste it, it like not everything has to be like your first introduction has to be like the greatest of all time i think like it's a little bit better than like a movie that i recently wa- um, i recently watched list for like horror getting kids into horror movies but i think like this is a little bit a little bit better than one that i'll talk about but otherwise like yeah it's fine like it's it's something where like you you watch it you go this is fine we move on and hopefully maybe yeah. by the third movie or maybe by the sequel it gets better but who knows like yeah. who knows but jason because so. <laughs> he makes low budget movies that make big profit because it's made 130 million dollars on the two uh 20 million dollar budget so we're definitely going to get a sequel so yeah i th- i just think i think if you don't want if you want to treat if you don't want to treat kids like they're kids then don't make the movie like they can't pay attention for longer than 30 seconds <laughs> so it's like it goes back to it it's like so that i don't know there's just there's quite there's like no i get it just like a lot of the there i'm trying to remember what else i was going to say but yeah. Also, the the MatPat thing. I did laugh at the MatPat thing. That was funny. So MatPat's a YouTuber, <laughs> and he has like he's known for all. He has all of these videos lore. on like theories yeah. about the Five Nights at Freddy's lore. So that's why he's in it. He's the guy that's at the diner that that randomly starts talking to them out of nowhere and is like, "Hey, that's just a theory." That's like his catchphrase. So there, that <laughs> was like purely a like a fan. Theory. Yeah, I'm like oh, he did it. He said the line. <laughs> like. Yeah. Did you I also just, hear like again, what is so on his name tag? So like he he made a video about him being part of the movie, and on his name tag it says Ness, and he was fan theorizing why sled like oh my trying God. to figure out <laughs> trying to figure out if it's short for Vanessa, which is part of the games and is also the police officer and all these things. And he went up to the creator and was like, "What?" Like because apparently the creator wanted him to specifically say Ness, 
And he's like, why did you have me say, like, why does it say Ness? And the courier's like, oh, that's just a, a throwback to your one of your videos. The video the of him connecting. Undertale video. The Undertale video. <laughs> and then Pat Pat's like, God damn it. <laughs> like, of course. Oh my God. So it's, that's, it was just like a yeah. red flag. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I just thought that was fun. Um, yeah, I just thought there was like elements of this where I thought there was elements of this movie where if there was if there was a unified vision at the helm of it dictating, you know, how the cinematography worked, how the writing worked, said, okay, like this is this is what we want to do and we need all of these elements of a film to work together to make this, you know, as good as possible, I think it would feel a little more cohesive. But it feels like it, it kind of feels like a lot of people were left to their own devices. And so yeah. everybody just tried to push it like as hard as they can, because what else are you going to do? And they're just told, hey, you know, we, we need to make this as good as possible. But nobody's on the same page because there isn't one person even pointing to the page they're supposed to be on. Um, I think that's I think that's where just a lot of like the mess of the movie um, comes in. And I think that needs to be taken into account when they make sequel movies. And I think the only way that that's going to happen is if people have, you know, more legitimate discussions around issues that the movie has um, and, you know, things like things that it does well, because I do think that the choice to do the Jim Henderson company animatronics is like, Henson. Or Jim Anderson. What the hell am I talking about? Jim Henson. So to recap, Five Nights at Freddy's is a big hot mess, but we're hoping it gets better. Um, Do it for kids. Yeah. All right. Seabear, what else is on your recently watched? Moving on to you now. Bring it to the... The Five Nights at Freddy's discussion, I watched uh, Disney's Haunted Mansion, the 2023 movie. So my thought about that was just the quick thought of like, I thought it was fine as well, but I also think of it as like, it's got a really bad story, but like a lot of Disney's live action movies, the visuals and production design are like off the chain. And it's just something where like, this feels like baby's first horror movie that can hopefully get people into horror, but it's just like, like Five Nights at Freddy's, it just has a messy story that I'm like, ah, damn, like you had the potential of something great, but you kind of missed the mark with the story because it's very, that one I think is more boring than Five Nights at Freddy's, but yeah, it with, is with very it, it's like boring. the visuals are cool. I also think that's um, very boring. So not, not, otherwise, not a good look for Disney. <laughs> yeah. It's it's it just yeah the the last good live action Disney movie in my opinion was Jungle Jungle Cruise and I'm like they just need to they need to figure out that formula, but the other than that I watched Return of the Living Dead from 1985 showed Tasha that we loved it, and then uh been uh before I get into my last discussion quick update for fans if they're wondering i beat the dlc for spider-man and then i also <laughs> beat the spin-off game for miles morales so now i am on spider-man 2 so hopefully maybe next podcast or so i can give my thoughts about spider-man 2 miles morales is a 10 out of 10 video game as well made me cry i love the fact that it's about miles becoming uh harlem spider-man 
and his own Spider-Man becoming your Spider-Man uh, when the New York people claim him as his as their Spider-Man because the whole game is about him getting told that he's the other Spider-Man. And when he finally gets told, it's great. Love it. Um, but then the last thing I watched was uh, Witness from 1985 as well. Uh, Witness is a movie from Peter Weir uh, starring Harrison Ford. It's about a young Amish boy that witnesses a murder in a train station. And uh, things happen from there where Harrison Ford has to live with the Amish. It is a banger of a thriller. Yeah. It is so good. It is a movie that I saw in college because I took, uh, for people that don't know, I have a minor in film studies. So I took a lot of film study classes. And one of those classes was world world cinema. And the teacher did one about Australian. Uh, we went to Australia. And the whole time he would pick movies and it pissed me off because it was like, you went to oh, Australia? we're talking about this director. Well, no, he would he would talk about like, okay, we're going to Australia, we're picking Peter Weir, and we watched I think it's called Gal- Galpo. It's a Mel Gibson movie about World War One. You know the Professor Freddy, and I'm like, great, it's another like World War movie. And then he picks Peter Weir's Witness, and it, but then he shows us that the guy has also done Dead Poet Society or The Truman Show. And this professor Emma is notorious for what I've known for picking movies where like you're. Like, it's not the most well-known movie. Because we also learned about Miles Foreman, who also did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But then we saw a lot of his earlier films. So it's like we never saw the movie that, like, most of our parents or most people know about. We saw, like, the ones where people would be like, why'd you watch that? But I do <laughs> remember, like, this, that, that this one witness. That just trying to be more obscure. <laughs> Picking the movie yeah. nobody's seen? Jeez, who would do that? Not Freddy. I know. <laughs> but, but, like, I do appreciate watching Witness because... It is the most adult drama movie I've ever seen. This feels like, for family members that are listening to this, this feels like the ultimate Nani movie that they know my grandma. Like, it is so good. It is such a thriller. And it is one of Harrison Ford's best roles. He's so good in it. And I I love this movie. It's great. Like, if you've never seen it, watch it. Front to back, but... I do know what Harrison Ford looks like in this movie. And <laughs> that's all I need to know is what he looks like in this yeah. film. Can I get a witness? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Go but on. yeah, it's, it's a great movie. It's probably one that I like, I've been going through a lot of like movies that I saw in college and trying to like, be like, did I like it or did I not? And there's a bunch that I like, there's some that I don't, but like this one, I was like, Oh yeah, this was this was definitely a banger, and I'm definitely glad that I stayed for that for that uh, class period to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. That's pretty much it. Sounds like a good week that you had. Um, yep. Besides Five Nights at Freddy's and our episode title, I watched two. 2023 releases in theaters anatomy of a fall and the holdovers so i'll just kind of briefly talk about those things because i really enjoyed anatomy of a fall if you don't know what it is it's a french film that is also somewhat well it's a french film but a lot of it is in english and that's because the main actor 
is German and she has to, like English is her middle of the ground language, basically. She can speak English better than she can speak French. And so the premise of this film, if you don't know, it's a crime drama. It's like a courtroom drama. She, her husband, she finds her, her and her like blind son find her husband dead in the snow in front of their cabin in France in the, in the mountains. And it's basically like, there's no other explanation except she must have pushed him. And so she has to go under, um, investigation yeah she has to be investigated and then there's a trial and that's pretty much the premise of the movie is this trial and it is bonkers the french are wild the french have some weird court practices i will tell you i have never seen courtroom scenes like i've seen in this movie i was like what am i watching is this a is this like a screwball comedy but it is like for real, like they do some bonkers things. They're like reading like like smut in and like they're reading like like literature, but like fiction and they're using it as evidence. <laughs> it just like is it is passable and anyway it's just very interesting film, but I really wanted to talk a lot mm. about The Holdovers, which is an Alexander Payne film. And I am really champion championing this movie to be a new holiday rewatch classic. Uh, because when was the last time we've had one of those? Like, when is the last time we've had a Christmas movie become something that the people before. really continue to watch like every year but i mean i would say happy season. in the 21st century love actually well, like for real like an actual holiday that's a holiday. good one yeah what, what were the Elf. other titles you said well Elf, i so Elf, the, yeah so 2004 the big, the big so one would be 2010 yeah. the big one would be elf that would be so like Elf, my pick is like the last big one. But my picks were The Night Before, which is the Seth Rogen, Jorson Gordon-Levitt movie that I watch Do people year. watch that? I've never even heard one. of it before. Yeah, I've and then the other one I said was the Hulu one with Christian Stewart, Happy, Happiest Season or so. Yeah, but is that something? So like, when I what yeah. I mean is like- The Happiest like Season something, is good though. I have watched it. It's yes. fine. I haven't wanted to rewatch it. What I mean is like- Every, you know, when you get to that season, like, there's a culture and, like, people rewatch their favorite Christmas movies. That's what I'm saying. The last one was Elf. Yeah. And that's that's 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And before that, Love Actually, that was 2000. Like, nothing nothing in the 2010s has really, like, stuck in the culture. Mm -hmm. And nothing in the 2020s has really stuck in the culture. Unless and you're I'm really a freak like that... me and my mom that like Christmas movies and you just <laughs> watch anything that's Christmas. But yes, yeah. I do agree so with I you. So th- I want the holdovers to to become this because it's such an interest. It's such a unique premise. It is basically, it's set in the 70s during the Vietnam War. So it kind of fits our theme. But it's about these 
prep school kids who, you know, they're spoiled rich kids, sure. And they go to a boarding school. And it's about this teacher who has to stay at the school over Christmas break with the kids who have nowhere else to go for Christmas break. And basically their parents are like, we're going to, you know, another country and we're not taking you with us. And they're just stuck at school for two weeks. And um, so it's not like a college, it's a high school, but um, it is a it's a it's a very fun movie it's not super heavy or it's very light-hearted it's also very warm it's got a lot but it does capture this like that time in between christmas eve and new year's day where it's just like you know that weird feeling where it's like you're just yeah you're just watching you're just hanging out with your fam or like maybe you are going back to work but it's this weird feeling of like oh christmas just happened and new year's is happening in a few days and like and it's almost just like this awkward time and anyway it captures that time but it also just captures like um yeah i mean there's a lot going on but i just think And I didn't like it as much as I liked Anatomy of a Fall, but as far as far as like a Christmas movie goes, I think that it's something that it, it could latch on to the culture if people go see it and connect with it. Yeah. Um, and the soundtrack is great. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm I mean, I'm interested in seeing it. I think it sounds especially if it's like that. I want to see it too. Yeah, if if you think that it's going to be if you think it has the potential to be like a a Christmas zeitgeist movie, yeah. How I many mean, times I, can I say that? That's what I hope podcast? for. That's what I hope for. It and it's Paul Giamatti. He's so amazing and hilarious, and just about everything he does. And he's just playing this stoic kind of like goofball, also super intelligent. He's professor, you know, um, of history, but he's also kind of got like a lazy eye and he just kind of like is uh, you know that teacher that everybody like talks shit about but once you like get to know them they're like pretty chill you know super chill and (laughs) cool and um like he's hard on them but he's also like very he has good expectations for them and you know it's just kind of like it's very sweet and tender yeah so it's yeah i mean i think that's why people would like it so that's my that's my pick for the week i guess if we wanted to call it that so yeah yeah, y'all should go see it (laughs) i want to go see it i think i I saw like a very early screening they only showed it at one time on sunday and yeah that's my only that's my only thing of like why i don't know if it'll get the response that you're hoping for of like being a classic because like the only the only way to see it in chicago is the music box theater well it's not out yet actually it it was like it was like a pre-release like yeah it's not No, like what i'm saying is it's like i can't like i can't see it at an amc or anything like there's there's like no showings closer to my house other than like driving the 40 minutes to the music box theater next week yeah but i think it'll be it's it's opening wide next friday 
it's not it's not technically released yet they just had like an early i know next showing. friday what i'm saying is it's like there's no like th like that's what i'm saying oh. is next friday the only showing near chicago is one theater <laughs> oh well oh. usually in at least in detroit so, i don't know how it works like usually you don't you're not going to get like your full showings until a week before so i, I know mean, so that, that's what i'm back, hoping like, like maybe Maybe yeah. gets a full release, so that that's why I'm like, I don't know, because like, yeah, it's it, supposed it seems to get like a such wide an indie film that like it could like just get a small release. But I'm hoping for a bigger release so that yeah, like hopefully it becomes a a Christmas classic. I hope so too. So I hope you get to see it. Um, so that's it for our recently watched everybody. Oh, you know what? Tec technically, I did also watch Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Ayo. <laughs> it's I a great like Halloween that movie. Before we recorded. Yeah. Um, I watch it on Halloween, so yeah, it's a it's a good Halloween movie, Christmas movie, yeah, um, beginning of the school year movie. Um, it's a good everything movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Uh, it's not my it's not my favorite Harry Potter film, but it's got those nostalgic. Vibes. Which one's your favorite? It's Chris Columbus. It's he's doing his you know holiday movie thing. It's got that same sort of like Home Alone Home aura Alone. to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which one's your favorite though, Emma? Oh, oh, my favorite book is Gobble to Fire, but my I didn't say book. Movie, I said movie. I know, but my favorite <laughs> we talk movie about nerd stuff. is Alphonse. We talk about nerd <laughs> stuff all the time. What are you talking about? This is a nerd stuff podcast. <laughs> like we didn't just t talk about Five Nights at exactly. Freddy's for like twenty minutes. Yeah, we didn't talk about book reading over nerds. here. This is a place for nerds. No, but um. My favorite, my favorite movie is Prisoner of Azkaban because it's Alfonso Cuarón. There we go. That's the right answer. It's so good. <laughs> uh, I, have a I also really that. like Deathly Hollows Part Two because it's just made so well. Uh, the 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 budget was just out of control. It's yeah. just like the best production. But as far as like the movies go. The, the, the with tone and like cinematography and just prisoner style all, all it around. Is so yeah so much prisoner of azkaban yeah oh yeah cool. i'm okay. glad we had that harry potter conversation let's move on yeah <laughs> um we're gonna get into our first pick of november our theme for this month is vietnam movies so we're doing this because it was my idea it was i'm just owning it because you know <laughs> i'm just gonna own it um <laughs> falling the grenade uh, like captain america yeah, yeah i'm falling on that grenade <laughs> it was yeah, me it was me i'm taking it for the team um i just have a lot of vietnam films that i want to watch because i have a blind spot in this area when it comes to cinema i've watched a lot of world war ii movies but not a lot of vietnam movies I also listened to a podcast series from The Ringer over the summer that just did an amazing deep dive into Vietnam films in Hollywood and how uh, the history of Vietnam was kind of shaped through the films that were made during this time. And um, the interesting part about it to me was how when Vietnam first started and we first were deployed into, and when I say we, I mean the United States military, because I didn't make those decisions. I was not born yet. But when when we did that, uh, Hollywood kind of reflected 
a sort of like they leaned into the American propaganda and were very like pro America, like pro war and like we should be here. This is what we should be doing to kind of like shape public opinion. But once soldiers started to go and, you know, news went back to the states of what was actually happening there, um, then public opinion changed. And a lot of that had to do with other films that were being made that were not so pro-America and not so pro-war and were, you know, shedding light on the atrocities that the American military committed while they were there. And um, so it was just a very interesting series that I listened to and it made me really rethink, you know, I really need to, it's a big blind spot for me, essentially. Um... I think we're going to get into a couple of pretty big Vietnam films during this time. Um, But to get us started, we're going to go with a film that was actually released six years ago. That is, interestingly enough, something that... Yeah, I think it's interesting that we're starting off with this movie as a Vietnam (laughs) film. Um, Because I think me not being knowledgeable about Vietnam movies, it would be interesting to rewatch this film after watching some more Vietnam movies. And so anyway, we're going to start off with Connor's Sea Bears Vietnam November pick, which is 2017's Kong. You heard me right. King Kong. Kong Skull Island. So Connor, get us started and... Tell us about this movie. Yeah, so like we're saying, like I've also Vietnam is a huge blind spot in my mind uh, as well because I'm not stereotypically a person that gravitates towards war movies a lot and stuff. So a lot of those kind of are a big blind spot. But when Emma decided to pick Vietnam movies, I'm like, I don't know, like there's not that many I've seen or like at least like are interested in or so. And then I, what popped in my mind was Kong's Island. Cause I remember seeing it in theaters and being like, damn, this is an interesting take on King Kong because one of my favorite movies as well is Peter Jackson's King Kong from 2005. And so the basic premise of Kong's Island is that, uh, John Goodman's character, uh, is a researcher from Monarch and they want to go to Skull Island because they just found from satellite footage of Skull Island and want to go do research there. And the secret subplot of that is that John Goodman basically saw Godzilla uh, years ago and wants to basically show proof that monsters do exist in the world and that Monarch, this secret government facility, can continue funding from that. And from with that, they uh, try to get the government to send them there. But because of the Vietnam War, they know that they're not going to get the the funding. So they convince a senator from there. They convince Samuel Jackson's character and his group of soldiers to uh, go on one more mission before they go home from Vietnam to take these scientists to Skull Island. Once they get to Skull Island, they realize that they picked the fight 
with the wrong animal, <laughs> i.e. King Kong, um, because they start planting bomb. They put bombs into the island to, you know, seismic charges to map out the island, but ends up pissing off Kong because, you know, start bombing someone's home. They're going to get pissed off. So then from there, it's just more of a escape movie after that of just trying to leave the island and trying to uh, get get home. Whereas Samuel Jackson's character is trying to kill King Kong because he killed a lot of his men at the beginning of the movie. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a movie that really takes the mythos of King Kong because the main the main thing was is that originally Universal wanted to make a sequel to Peter Jackson's King Kong but with that they uh were trying they had a screenwriter and once when the screenwriter pitched a apocalypse now type story they ended up Universal ended up scrapping that because the legendary pictures ended up pitching it to Warner Brothers and that's what made Kong Skull Island and with that it was just more of they tried to connect it to uh gareth edwards uh 2014 film godzilla because at the end of this movie there's a post-credit scene that shows that monarch is the same company that is tracking godzilla and that will end up going into the next movie which is godzilla king of monsters and so with that it's interesting of taking what japan did with the first the og godzilla of it being a on-the-nose metaphor for Hiroshima and Nagasaki of the bombings of Godzilla being this radiation monster and taking for America to do that with King Kong of using Vietnam as that, like, alt-history type of thing of going into a place that we're not supposed to go to, this man-versus-nature type of thing, I thought was very interesting, especially with the opening of the movie with, like, all this, like, alt history type of stuff of like them referencing like when we're testing the nuclear bombs like it it wasn't a test it was trying to kill something type of things and stuff i just want to remind our audience we will be spoiling this movie from beginning to end probably so oh yes uh, oh yeah just you know we're gonna do that every week but i just needed to send out that reminder if you have not seen kong skull island and you'd like to Please go watch it. Come back and listen. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just want to say one thing real quick. When you when you pick this movie, Connor, um, I'll be honest with you because I never saw it. And I remember when it came out and people talking about it. I just didn't go see it. Uh, I was unsure of like how much this movie would tie into Vietnam. <laughs> um and then we and then I watched it. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's all Vietnam. Yes, <laughs> all of it. So exactly, you yeah. can see where where at first it's like, why would Connor pick this? And then you're like, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's definitely, it definitely fits the theme, and it fits the. We'll get into this later, I guess. If you want to get into it now, we can, but. It definitely is trying to make connections, not just to the time, but like to attitudes and and ideas around that time and like what we've learned since then as well. So, yeah, Yeah, it's definitely a Vietnam movie. 
Because, yeah, because the movie, because like I said, the movie was written by multiple people beforehand, before it got to like the actual screenwriters. The main uh, screenwriter, uh, I got to pull it up here. Uh, Basically, the, the one screenwriter, he obviously revealed Apocalypse Now, and he basically wrote saying uh john john garrett's he wrote what popped in my head uh for the movie was apocalypse now that's obviously a war movie but what i like the idea of people moving up river to face a misunderstood force that they think is a villain but ultimately they come to realize is much more complicated and then once when vort uh once when vort came on board as the director and he liked the idea of the vietnam references and stuff like all the influences came in with Apocalypse Now and like Platoon and the conversation. But then what really ended up getting more DNA in there was his influence on anime and video games of like specifically the angels from Neon Genesis Evangelion and like <laughs> uh, Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. <laughs> like are huge references for this director and even Old Boy and especially that shot of Kong uh eating the octopus is like such a huge homage to old boy specifically oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah um you know the thing so right off the bat um i was i was picking up on like these sort of these like vietnam allegories from <sighs> yeah. like as soon as they're as soon as they're getting like they're getting ready to go to skull island and it very much, um, it's very much shot in like a, like a propaganda style. It's like all of these really flashy. We got to get slow mo shots of like all of these like hel- helicopters flying through the air. It's like isn't like the the whole like even the needle ready drops. To go. Yeah, it's like this is this yeah. is all of the, uh, all of the staples of like the well, sort of like pro vietnam war propaganda like right off the bat of this movie um and then like the the whole sequence of them going to skull island is just felt very much like they're all ready they get the big scene with the storm and like they haven't even gotten to this island yet and like they're they're terrified but then they're they're able to make it through and then as soon as they think that it's like okay we're here now like we're good to go we just got to walk across oh, this island oh it's so beautiful <laughs> yeah they just they like immediately get met with this force that completely well, overwhelms they're them they're met with the force because they drew it out by bombing it which by is bombing it yeah. literally <laughs> vietnam yeah. well that's what i'm saying like that, we like, started it <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying we started yeah. like, the conflict yeah. and then we're met with the consequences yeah that's what I mean, though. Yeah. It's like that whole like intro scene is very much like, look at what did you think it... was gonna happen? Yeah, well, it's like it like, starts out and it's like, isn't the isn't the U.S. military badass? And then they fucking get there, and it's like, and they get their asses handed to them. Yeah, and which so is it's what just happened. exactly, and so they're just immediately like, uh, just like decimated right yeah. off the bat. And I did I did laugh at the fact that they set up this entire. Uh, this entire platoon with uh, with retirony, like right yeah. off the bat, they're like, we're two days away from leaving this yes. war. Yeah. It's like, 
Yeah. Oh my god. Man, Sean Wiggum's character is so good. The 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 one guy that they're trying to like get more lore about, or the 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 one guy where he's like, "Don't you have a bed?" And he's like, "You have a bed, right? You should have a bed." (laughs) The one that dies with the grenades. What is your door when he goes? He goes, how are you eating right now? And he's like, eating yeah. for the living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, he's so good. That actor is from I to... our audience. Like, the actor is from Fast and Furious. He's the one that gets punched by Paul Walker in Fast and Furious 4. <laughs> and I know him from wait, a lot more than Fast and Furious. Yes, like, he's also been in more Fast and Furious, Empire but then most recently. And... Yes, and most recently he's been in uh, Mission Impossible. And Mission Impossible. I mean, he's he's in a lot of things. He's great. I wanted to he's piggyback great. on what um, Freddie was saying when it came to the Vietnam references because I couldn't help but make deep historic connections. I didn't want to bring this up, but I'm going to. Okay. So we find out they, they bomb the the island calling them seismic charges, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, draws out Kong, who is just like, excuse me? Yeah. Don't fuck with my home. Like, what are you doing? Um, He's the kid. And then they venture a little further to a civilization of humans. And this is what I found interesting. Mm-hmm. And they find this, they find this civilization of humans after they escape the initial helicopter attack and they meet the John C. Riley character who is probably my favorite part about this movie. He's hilarious, which of course it's John C. Riley, but um, yeah. he has basically been on this island for 28 years since World War II. He was an American fighter pilot that crashed on this island with another Japanese fighter pilot and they end up becoming friends and living on this island together. Some theorize that they were more than friends. We'll never know. Um, but he says he says something about these people that I just... I couldn't ignore because I'm like, it's in the script. You wrote it. That's on mm-hmm. purpose. Um, and then you kept it in the movie. So it's on purpose. Like, you didn't have to say it and you did. He's talking about this civilization civilization of people and he says how awesome they are. And he's like, there's no crime. This is a quote. No crime, no personal property. And they're past all of that. They are they are past all of the bullshit that our civilizations go through. Um, what's the difference between our civilizations and this civilization? Um I can't, yeah, I, so then we have the history, which is you have this conflict in Vietnam between the North and the South, and um, (laughs) basically there is this uh, kind of like this rogue group of people that don't that aren't necessarily associated with the Vietnamese government called this is their name mm-hmm. Viet Cong 
um, <laughs> which is an armed communist organization and movement in South Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. Formerly organized as the National Liberation Front of South Vietnam, it fought under the direction of North Vietnam against the South Vietnamese and the United States government. So basically, the United States came in to Vietnam to help the South fight the North and involved themselves in this conflict that they had no no business involving themselves in. But essentially, the Viet Cong were a protector and guardian for <laughs> the North Vietnamese people who were communists. And if you know anything about communism, which I happen to know a lot about, uh, one of the biggest things is personal property so it, it was not lost on me that this was in the script and uh, they're saying it without saying it but yeah. Kong who they find out is a protector of these people he is a guardian yeah. for these people and his name is Kong so I just like <laughs> I was like, this is just in my face. Yeah, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> it's a um, little on the nose. It's and the thing is, like, there's there, like that's what the more like the more I got into this movie, I'm like, like almost everything in here is allegory. Like everything, like even before they get to the village, they have it's it's almost like each each creature that they run into is like representative of like some element of the vietnam war and like but like specifically <laughs> the fucking spider the spider the spider i'm like okay so you're telling they're walking through this they're walking through the forest the forest the and then all of a sudden forest. all yeah. of a sudden they start getting attacked from the trees Above. but it's not the trees it's like and so they're just shooting i'm like this is th like this is exactly what you think it's well, supposed to well be, it's right? it's what what happened yeah. with the united states army is they got they got their asses handed to them because they i mean notoriously america is just incredibly proud and arrogant and that it has worked for them it had worked for them for 200 years and then they went to vietnam and were in a place that they didn't care to understand or get to know and the people that were indigenous to the place yeah had guerrilla war tactics that yeah. kicked our asses um what i really liked though was they had the um the scene with like the was it's like a giant water buffalo yeah, and it was it's, a good one. And it's, so it's like immediately after, and this is where what I thought was really interesting is you have all of these troops and they're meant to, like, obviously they're just, they're, they're supposed to be, you know, Vietnam soldiers. And then you have Samuel L. Jackson's character, mm. which when I'm watching it, I'm reading this as like Samuel L. Jackson's character is like an allegory for like the military industrial complex he's, of the United he's States. He's not just any old yes. general. Like he is the American military. Yeah. So he like captures like the mindset, like over the course of the movie, like he completely gives into like this sunken cost fallacy of, you know, I need to get even. 
because I've lost so many people this far going into this, like to the point where they have the big standoff later in the movie when they decide they're going to go try to find the one guy that we that we the audience see get killed you know prior to them doing this and then they have one interaction in this super dangerous area that john c Riley's like do not go here you're not going to come back out yeah and then they see hey he's dead and samuel jackson's character is like no that's not good enough now like which is which is something that um that character that we were talking about earlier um he says sometimes the enemy doesn't exist until you go looking for one yeah and that's the mindset of samuel l jackson is he's constantly looking for conflict 100 percent. and you see over the course of the movie like the rest of these troops becoming more and more like jaded to samuel l jackson's character's like mindset he where they're starting to like really they're like i don't even know why like why are we even doing this at this point um do you have anything yeah, like that you want to add to that, Connor? <laughs> yeah, like he's the driving... Samuel Jackson is the driving force of this movie. Like he is legit like the one thing, like the main reason why I remembered this movie and why I was like, oh, this would be a great pick for this month. Of just the fact of like, you, you nailed it on the head of like, he he is just the military complex system. And like bringing it back to like what you were saying before that I was, uh, was going to butt in about of like, yeah, when they bomb kong and they just pick a fight with an enemy that they know nothing about and they start bombing the you know the island and then it gets to that end scene where yeah tom hiddleston is like you know your your guy is dead and he's like and he's like yeah kong did that he's like kong didn't do that that was somebody else he's like but kong did this and he shows the other name tags of you know the helicopter fight but it's like but kong didn't do that because you picked the fight yeah (laughs) kong was defending Yes, you did that. Because and so like because tell me because tell me tell me if you're flying a helicopter and your helicopter <laughs> is facing a 100 foot gorilla, why you would still drive that helicopter towards that 100 foot gorilla? They ask if it's a I monkey. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Go over the other way. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, 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 that's a big gorilla. <laughs> no, that's that's my favorite line in the movie is the is that a monkey? Is that a monkey? Is that a monkey? Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, like, it, it's just like the driving force of the movie of just like, yeah, this guy, because like, w- we were we were explaining before of like, what's another great, like, character is Brie Larson's character of this anti-war photographer. And when she first meets Samuel Jackson's character getting onto the boat, and he's like, you know, like, who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm a photographer or whatever. And Samuel Jackson says, you know, the camera is the most, is more dangerous than a gun. And then, cause then they also talk about like how Brie Austin's like, yeah, we won, uh, we, we won the war, like the war is over. And Jackson goes, we also didn't lose the war. We abandoned it. And it's something of like him needing a win that, that it's that American ego of like, yeah, no, you no, actually we, we lost. Need, we need a W. <laughs> like, well, like we can't like- lose. Like, we're America. Like, we're we never America. lose. We can't lose. Yeah. yeah. I think it's definitely, like, it's definitely a prideful thing for him there. Because I think it's more... I, yeah. The line, I think, is it's, um, you know... Well, I think he she says... says he's, he, at the beginning, when we first meet him, he says, what was all this for? Yeah. It's like, I, I he can't possibly go home because he's going to have his head down and his tail between his legs. Yeah. And it's a pride thing. And I think you're right. And that's just America. Like, that's how 
the government and the military complex felt when they came yeah. home. They're like, we abandoned it. Mm -hmm. But then it's like you have all of these troops, like the characters in this movie, that are like, I mean, we were there and we didn't even know what, what we were doing there. Mm -hmm. And now, like, we're going to go home and, yeah, every, like, it's like you guys feel beaten down, but, like, we died for you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, um, and even with uh, what's his name, like the one, the one character with the 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 son with the dear Billy, you know the dear the Billy, dear yeah. Billy, you know throughout of like mm -hmm. once when he dies, like that's the one that dies that Tom Hiddleston talks about, and they're trying to save throughout the movie is like it, it's something of like when the other soldiers are like, oh, we're gonna tell Billy that he was one hell of a dad, and it's like yeah, but like it is that thing of like what did he die for, you know, like yeah, it, it's. It's this mission, like, like, like what we said at the beginning is like they were literally like, like about to get on a plane ride home, like, like they were literally like the night before about to go home, and then Samuel Jackson's like, ah, guys, like we're, we got another mission. Yeah, <laughs> like I can't we can make this last. I can't one do stick. it. Yeah, like, it's just it's <sighs> tragic. Yeah, and I just wanted to is unless we wanted to continue, go ahead. Oh, I, I, you can. I was gonna talk about a different part. So I was gonna talk about. I was gonna kind of take something that you said and something you said Connor and maybe critique it a little bit <laughs> so um I I actually don't think that Brie Larson's character is good at all and I find it to be a big fault with the film one she makes it very oh, yeah. known that she is an anti-war photographer. She's kind of famous for being an anti-war photographer. And one of the flaws in this script for me is why the hell she's even allowed to be on this expedition in the first place. But then, you know, moving on from that, I think that there's really nothing else that she's doing in this film and I'm not sure why she's there other than the fact that she's Brie Larson and that's a draw for a lot of people and I think she's there I for the fact of like I, I think she's I there for the fact of like she's of she got the pick of the fact of like she's supposed to document Skull Island because Skull Island, like they admit at the beginning is something that has never been documented before. So instead of, because Vietnam is like done now because like John Goodman says at the beginning, like this is, you know, like you'll never see it like this before, like in DC, like a more worse time in DC, <laughs> like uh, such a yeah, line. Yeah, but John Goodman is like, that's his goal is to get documentation and then take it back to prove that there's monsters here so that the cavalry can come back and torch the place. Yeah, before sure all of those monsters before Brie Lawson, it's like, that's the next, that's the next thing is that like, it, it's pretty much like they are admitting to her, like, you know, you should be at home, you know, like you have, you know, Time Magazine, like all these things. And it's like, she's just like on the next expedition. You know, like her next yeah, thing is, you know, I just don't know. But, I just don't know exactly yeah. why they even would want her there because it's a one, it's already being documented by John Goodman's character. He has a camera as well. Two, uh, it's a American military operation and American government funded operation. Yeah. Ameri the American government is not going to touch 
a, a person like Brie Larson get, with a ten foot pole. Yeah, is she um, yeah, I, is she part of the is she part of the group that they piggyback off of? Is that like how they fit yes. her in like plot wise? Because that's yeah, the she's, thing. Like she's, when she when they get the senator to agree, he's like the um what the heck's the other guy's name that's with John Goodman's character? Um, like the monarch, uh, yeah, people? the other guy. Yeah, because they because he tells them he's like we I'm not we're not going to pay for you to just go. There's another group that's going, and you can go with them. And then John Goodman's like, "Also, I need a military escort." And then yeah. they're like, "We're gonna go." So I get. I mean, plot wise, they get her. In plot that wise, way, but she's plot wise. She's I understand, in there. like she's story on wise, this mission. And but even even while she's there, she's taking pictures. Great. Uh, there are several scenes where she's like in the frame and just not doing anything. And it's because I'll, I'll give you a I'll give you a specific example. When Samuel L. Jackson's character is has burned Kong and Kong is on the ground and he's incapacitated, and then you know Tom Hiddleston's character and Brie Larson's character are like, we're gonna go save Kong, and they just come up right at that moment and they're like, stop. And then he's like, I'm gonna press this button. And like Tom Hiddleston's character has already told him not to do it and he's mm -hmm. gonna do it. And like, she's just kind of standing behind him and then she's just like, stop. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just like, what are you? And like, I, I don't find that, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think it's a flaw on Brie Larson because I think she's very talented. I think it's a flaw of, I don't think, the filmmakers know what to do with her. They don't know what to do with her character. Um, I, and I kind of felt the same way about the female biologist that was with the John Goodman, Gun, John Goodman team. I'm like, what is she even doing here well, other than she's she's appealing to Chinese audiences? And well, she's female, just a sign. You know, well, yeah, this was a ten she's a ten cent movie. So yeah, she's but, just not doing anything. And it's just kind of—it was just kind of frustrating that the only two female characters are just like completely foils. My and... only my only argument to it, to put a pin in yeah. this, is like the only argument to it that I have because I agree with you that yes, she's the weakest point of the movie, and a lot of those people are the weakest. <laughs> point. The only reason that I can give it for not just story wise, but just like as a studio audience, is the fact of like because John Goodman is a bad guy, and he is taking pictures and stuff. When they try to go back and stuff, you need that argument of like with the post credit scene. The post credit scene is Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson in a uh, in a uh, interrogation a room cell. at Mar yeah, yeah in, in Monarch, and it's because of the fact of like they know everything, and especially Brie Larson is like a P like Peter Parker from the Daily Bugle, where she can leak this information out, and the government needs this to be secret needs to be hush hush so you need someone that is a quote-unquote good guy to be on the audience side of like well like wouldn't you want this information to go out so that's what brie washington's character kind of is but, but i do I agree the that end... they don't do anything with her and it's like yes like they they really don't know what to do with her other than just like she takes pictures <laughs> and yeah it's like, like yeah. she's taking pictures but i thought at the end even when the John C. Riley character who has been on the island and like knows the culture and knows what Kong means to the people, he's like, if people know about Kong, then, you know, that's going to bring people to the island and it's going to cause problems. And even Brie Larson says, like, it's not going to come from us. 
And yeah. so I think she's already made well, up yeah, her that mind was that just... she's not going to share that information. Well, yeah, uh, and that's in, also in the, teasing. In the, in the pictures. That's also teasing more of the legendary picture monster verse of like i said like godzilla king of monsters and what ends up being godzilla versus king kong of just the you know like them basically just hinting at like there's more like like man isn't the the biggest uh you know monster in this universe it's all these other monsters but yeah but like that's a different conversation of not vietnam yeah 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 (laughs) i guess i would say i would say to put my to put my to put my two cents into the pin in this part of this conversation, <laughs> um, I think going off of like this the whole like Vietnam allegory perspective of it, I think the reason that they have Brie Larson's character in there is that it's she I I would say she's supposed to be like a surrogate for. Uh, Americans during Vietnam that were not fighting in Vietnam and were like and we're seeing everything yeah. that was happening in yeah. Vietnam from the third party perspective. Yeah. But I think the fact that she is like one of the most like poorly written characters for this movie goes to show like it's like, okay, you wanted to put this surrogate in there because you wanted to have a fully, you know, it, it. they wanted to, like, really try to be like, we need to cover Vietnam from every aspect Angle. of this yeah. and put it into this movie. But it's clearly, like, this is the per- this is the perspective that you were, that you were thinking the least about in writing this. You know what I mean? So it's like they put a lot of time into the soldiers that were there the military being there and the civilization uh, and the civilization that was there previously. So like all of these allegories you spent more time in, but then you wanted to put like, it's kind of like an afterthought. Yeah. And so I think that's like, that's where I would say like, that's where they wanted it in there. But how successful is it at, you know, sort of capturing that mindset at the time it definitely isn't as strong as the other ones. It's not. And she ended uh, up kind of also being like the typical blonde uh, because that's kind of a trope in the King Kong films. Of yeah. King Kong is kind of obsessed with this blonde woman and wants to protect her at all costs. And she kind of becomes that. Uh, but she also gets this like moment where she just has no military training whatsoever, but gets the perfect shot with a flare gun into the head of a skull monster. Yeah. I mean, which is like a cool scene, but it's also just, it's a little unbelievable, but you know, we're also nitpicking. So like, that's kind of with the territory. (laughs) Um, so I just kind of wanted to bring that up, but, um, yeah, you talking about like the, Oh, cause Oscar transitioned into the stereotypical, like King Kong stuff. Like what, let me, let me, what what I like about this movie. Okay, let me talk about the allegory thing one more time because you mentioned okay. the part where they burn Kong, yeah, and it's specifically Samuel L. Jackson is like staring get the him oil. down. Yeah. They don't say that it's napalm, yeah. but like this is definitely a napalm allegory to yeah. the point where that whole scene. It's like Samuel. It's like they get the they get the wide shot of like Samuel L. Jackson standing there, and then he lights it, and it's. And it just all goes up in flames, and then Kong is completely engulfed, and like you're watching him 
uh, be tortured and he's like burning alive and you get the shot of all the other soldiers that are just looking at this giant ball of flames just like burning like just burning this alive and you can see in all the soldiers that it's like what what like what what are we doing like they don't feel good about this well how is it any different than what they had just been doing in yeah. the war but then it cuts to Samuel L. Jackson and he is, it is Loving like it. no remorse. He's like, this is what yeah. I fucking came here to do, right? And it's just like they get like, the close-up of, of his eyes. And, and then, you know, they have him down for the count. And then even when the soldiers turn against him and they say, we can't do this. Like, do not blow up Kong. And then the, the giant skull That's monster the big one. <laughs> shows up. Samuel Jackson is still like, no, I'm gonna kill Kong right now, and then Kong, and then Kong kills him, <laughs> and then you're good. like, yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> but it is like it's just it's it's through the whole movie, this whole the allegories, yeah, very very on point, on the nose. It, whether or not it's executed well, yeah, like do I think that it's uh, probably like the smartest idea to. Uh, make a giant gorilla a metaphor for a a group of people in a foreign nation that are like defending themselves Uh, i don't think that that's necessarily the best allegory or to to even lighten the horrors and atrocities that happen in vietnam to a monster movie is also a conversation like again we're nitpicking whether or not that's the most ethical decision to make but I will say this is very similar to the conversation we just had about Cloverfield. So I was yes. going to ask you, Connor, I don't know how many kaiju movies you've seen. I've only seen <laughs> a handful, but I'm like, so would you say that a solid majority of these are allegories for war? These monster movies <sighs> like wouldn't... Cloverfield and Godzilla and King Kong. Yeah. Because King Kong... Well, the, well, here, let's get into that conversation now, Connor, about king kong lore because the original film was like pre-world war ii yeah so yes. what do you think about like, that i think it's like world war one yeah it's like well 1930s. it's like i think the movie was like 1930 so it's it's yeah. long past world war one but right before world war ii yeah i think like king kong like majority of like king kong mythos is the beauty and the beast story it's just like because like it's like the whole like ending thing of like it was beauty that killed the beast (laughs) of the whole blonde and and stuff like that and just more of like understanding like man versus nature type of thing and and things like that and i don't understand like i don't i i haven't i haven't seen the original king kong um i've only like i've only seen the the 2005 one and so with that one, I don't think it's necessarily an like I don't think Peter Jackson like made it an allegory for World War Two or even like World War One. I. I just view it more as like Peter Jackson just making the movie that inspired him to make a movie. But like other well... like kaiju movies, like I like other kaiju movies, like it it depends because like I said, like Godzilla is a response to World War Two, and mm-hmm. like. And then, like, even, like, something like Cloverfield. Yeah, like, even, like, Cloverfield is, like, a response to 9-11. But, like, Pacific Rim really isn't a response to anything. 
Like that's just that's just Gamoro Totoro just making a kaiju movie because he loved Godzilla movies as well, <laughs> like old like well, big monster movies, and then like even I like think... Toho, even like Toho like Godzilla movies, like they just ended up becoming more and more engulfed with like parody of themselves because like you end up getting things like Godzilla versus Mothra and Godzilla versus uh the like whatever the three-headed dragon one but then you have mecha godzilla like a robot godzilla <laughs> like, like it just becomes yeah. like it just becomes japanese if that makes sense like it just becomes anime at that point but there are some that i know because i i bought tasha the criterion uh godzilla pack that comes with like all of the godzilla movies up to like 1975 and i was reading like some of the descriptions on some of them and like some of them of like where, like, one of the later ones, like, they brought back, like, one of the original directors, and he brought back, like, that old-school, gritty, like, you know, style to Godzilla and stuff. So, like, there there are, like, probably some that are, like, references to, like, war and stuff. But, like, yeah, it just, it just depends. It, it's almost like what we're talking about with Blood Quantum, of just, like, zombies. Of, like, zombies, like, th- there are zombie movies that are just zombie movies, but then there are zombie movies that are legit just allegories for, like, the world today or the world of you know yesterday of like where people talk about it it just depends on like the directors and it depends on what the studio wants to do and i think with with kong skull island specifically it's just a matter of like they just once once when they figured out the vietnam angle and the fact that they like toho gave america toho are the people that own godzilla uh toho gave america the rights to godzilla to make their own godzilla universe and so it's just interesting that like once when they came up with the vietnam angle it just seems like they just ran with the runway with that whereas they're like oh this could be an interesting angle for this legendary pictures monsterverse version of king kong versus just doing the stereotypical thing of we go we go to skull island and then we try to capture king kong and we bring him back to america and like show off king kong and then he climbs the empire state building and like all that kind of stuff where it's just a it's just a different take on on the character yeah and and what i think is interesting is you were talking about how like eventually you know king kong or eventually like godzilla sort of becomes this parody of itself and i i think that's sort of where it's like it's a it's a it's a treacherous line to tread with these sort of allegories when you have yeah you know it's like the the kaiju movie you know the kaiju movie has developed into like this sort of like it has its staples it has its own parodies of itself it's become its own thing and like it has these roots in allegory so i can see where they're thinking like okay we want to go with more of like a like a we want to kind of try to go back to the roots with this allegory thing but it's like when you want to make allegories for something that is as traumatic as the vietnam war and like with how direct they want to be with a lot of allegories it's like as much as i am like pointing out that it's like you know i see it and it's there um like and a lot of it is very on the nose um at the same time you know when you're comparing it with sort of everything that kaiju movies have become it's like you you run the you run the risk of 
you know, sort of like muddling your intent with what you're trying to portray where it is like, okay, you know, we, we, or the Viet just, Cong is King Kong. And or it's like, it just, well, the like, Viet Cong are an entire group of people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, or it becomes it, a parody and it becomes a little silly. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, like a little on the nose. Yeah. And so, you know, it is, it's like, it's like I can see what they're trying to do. And it feels like that's definitely the point is like they want you to see what they're trying to do. But then it's like, how, how much are you thinking into, what you are literally well, portraying on on screen because it's you know with well, i was yeah. talking about that water buffalo scene where you know they just fight kong and then they run into this other monster that they assume is a monster and they're scared at first but then they realize that no this is a completely benign creature and just wants to sit here and live its life and then over the course of the movie, it's like, this is an entire ecosystem that we understand nothing about. And we need to get out of here. Yeah. And, and leave it alone. <laughs> and we're just, and we're, you know, we're disturbing something that we don't, you know, fully understand. Um, yeah, I think, I think what which also makes it, like... a, it, I mean, it, it does fit. Like, it makes it a good allegory for Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, if you use those terms. Yeah. Like yeah. What, you... what, what also like drives this type of story and this type of movie is like like what we're saying is like kaiju movies as a whole and what what really drives it is the audience and like the thing is is like like notorious with these movies is that like a lot of people have hot takes on gareth edwards godzilla 2014's godzilla because it's a movie that doesn't really show too much of godzilla and it doesn't show like Godzilla doing a lot of like destroying. And that's kind of the criticism with a lot of these American movies is that they're like, there's not enough monsters fighting. And that's like what most Americans want is like the monsters fighting. And so like, it, it was just like, and nobody cares about the human characters. So it's just like, like, why do we care about the human characters? Like it should just be about like Godzilla or like Kong and like all this stuff. And so like comparing it to something like, uh shin godzilla which is one of the most recent uh toho godzilla movies the reason why a lot of people like that movie is that it's focus on the human aspect is that godzilla appears in tokyo and most of the movie is just boardroom meetings of government facilities going what can we do? Well, we can't attack this city because it's under this district. And if we attack this city, then like, you know, these people will like, like it's a lot of like boardroom meetings of like the actual like ramifications of like, what if Godzilla actually attacked like Tokyo? And then like, and it's also like an allegory of like the U S wouldn't help us. That's like a big part of that movie is they're like, yeah, the U S is like, fuck you guys. <laughs> like, like you're on your own. Um, but like, it is just a lot of like, well, if we bomb this area, like we need to like evacuate these people and like all this kind of stuff. And like what makes, what I love about Kong Sky Island is that like the human aspect is interesting, which is the Vietnam allegory. Of just like it, it really grounds it versus like these other like Godzilla, uh, Godzilla King of Monsters, or even got Godzilla versus King Kong. Of like all the human, all of the side story where it isn't about the monsters is kind of boring, and it's kind of like, well, what are we doing? Like, like really, the audience wants to see the monsters fight, and what 
what I wanted to get to is just like transitioned into is like what I love about this movie is that this movie is just Peter Jackson's film. And what I liked about Peter Jackson's 2005 film is when they get to Skull Island, all of the Skull Island stuff. When I was a kid, I ate up. I was like, this is awesome. And now as an adult, I oh, love the movie as a whole. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Like as an adult, I love the movie as a whole, but to get Kong Skull Island, a movie that is two hours of them on the Island. I'm like, this rules like all of the monsters all of like like we teased about of like the spider the the spider that is like a bamboo it's not a forest it's bamboo legs and so like they're going through bamboo and like they realize that like there's just this giant spider above them and that's so cool or even like you're saying like not even just the buffalo but like the the wood like tree branch or whatever that turns into like the the prey mantis cricket type of thing like that's so cool and like all these like different designs and stuff like that's those were the interesting stuff that i liked about the 2005 film of like when they get trapped in the 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 cavern and it's like all the bugs start attacking them and stuff and it's like those are the things that like what makes skull island as a character like interesting of like these like different creatures and these different like things that can happen and to again to like bring it to like the vietnam stuff like that's what's so fascinating about this movie of like an enemy that you know nothing about and especially like mm-hmm. what you said freddie of like with john c Riley's character of like when they when he starts talking about the i forget what he calls them and he's like it's such a stupid name but like the the skull the the skull creatures like the main like enemy like God, what does he call it's skull monsters. yeah like it yeah like it's so yeah. cool of like like him basically saying like you have no like you don't know what these people can do. Like they killed Kong's parents. Like, like yeah. these things are like insane. Like you guys need to leave. And the fact that Jackson's character is like, nah, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. you're talking about. Like, it's so, it's great. Like, I think that's what I love about this movie versus just like, again, like a lot of like these other kaiju movies where it's just like, well, like it's a kaiju movie. And it's like, yeah, like it's great. And the visuals could be great, but like, it's always like these like subtleties that make the good ones good, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really good monster design. It's really good. The the entire production of the ecosystem of the island is made very well. And I had seen this film before in theaters, but watching it again, I'm just struck by I think it's just because a lot like a lot of the new kind of cgi stuff that's been coming out in the last five years has just been really bad like i think specifically of marvel and they're they're just not giving their visual effects teams enough time to actually complete the graphics and make them look good and they're just like pushing them out pushing them out and it's just it looks really ugly and it looks fake and it looks bad and i'm just watching this kong versus skull monster fight in the water and i'm like damn this looks amazing it looks real i never thought at once like oh that could have been better or whatever like they really spent a lot of time on the visual effects and so that is a that is a strength of this movie i think is just the amount of time that they put into making yeah, it look like, really good yeah no 100 like, percent. the visual the visual language and like the cinematography is like so good like like what you're saying like emma like 
like I like I don't want to say I disagree with you with like visual effects of like Marvel and stuff, but what what I agree with is like yeah, like a lot of blockbusters just look the same. They they look like bland, you know, like a lot of grays, a lot of like boring colors, and the fact that this movie like really shows like greens and blues and oranges and like it is so flashy it is just like such a fresh a breath air of like oh my god like this movie is so colorful and so vibrant that like we don't see this a lot with like big blockbusters that like i just like that they were it helps that they were filming in a remote island in vietnam yeah (laughs) like they were on location and it's just place it's not a green screen it looks amazing and i think that is a testament yeah like to the film i think that's like definitely so good very good um i love it i i i honestly think i think this is kind of i i think this is a very good first pick for these vietnam movies yeah, because we're the rest of them. Not to say anything specific right now, but we're about to watch like a far more gritty. <laughs> yeah. Like these are supposed to be more like stereotypical, serious, yeah. serious takes on Vietnam. And I think it will be interesting thinking back on this movie yeah. after watching either these for the first time or rewatching them, um, because they're like the the final fight is. Um, you know, it's epic and it's, you know, they got like all the crazy visuals and everything. But then me, who hasn't been able to let go of the, the like crazy strong Vietnam allegories that they've been trying to do the entire movie, I'm watching the final fight scene and I'm like, so what specifically is this your allegory for? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's because it's like, we've come this far on this sort of path and i guess that's kind that could be sort of indicative of like what i was saying earlier where it's like you know they because they don't want to they don't want to do the thing where they make a kaiju movie and they don't have a big monster fight at the end of it right that's what the kaiju movies do you gotta get you gotta get them fighting you gotta get the you gotta get them brawling i mean there is a big monster fight in this movie that's what i'm yeah yeah okay that's what i'm saying they put that in there but like so much of the movie is like we want this to be like a very heavy-handed allegory on the Vietnam War, um, and so then you get to the big kaiju fight, and it's like this is a staple of the genre you've put this movie in. But is it necessarily a staple of like the specific allegory that you wanted to tie this to? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know. Not, I mean, unless you guys have necess- a pitch for what specifically the skull monsters are supposed to be. Right, exactly. Well, not they're necessarily born, they're my- yeah, they're born out of kind of like like well, I'm thinking about like they're it almost reminded me of the Lion King like where the hyenas hang out. Mm-hmm. Uh where it's like there's just a bunch of bones and it's just like a, a lot of Skull a lot of their design is very um acid and like toxicity and yeah. like the way that they um well i'm yeah i think they're also just born out of radiation and that kind of thing and you know there's yeah i don't i don't know what the clear connection is like if you're gonna go for the allegory go for the allegory so what are the skull monsters you know yeah 
That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Um, but I did think the it end, was really like. What are you gonna say, Connor? I mean the the end fight in my mind is not more of an allegory. I think it's more like what you're saying. It's just a stereotypical kaiju fight, and it's trying to like because of the the whole uh like end credit scene being that like guess what like this is part of the godzilla universe because again like as an audience member when i saw this like no the marketing was never like this is part of godzilla like none of the marketing was like that all most of the marketing was this is a this is a king kong movie and it wasn't yeah. until the last like after credit scene that everyone's mind was blown including mine that it was like holy shit like godzilla's gonna fight king kong and I think the last fight was just to try to, like, instill to the audience that, like, Kong is king. And that, like, yeah. no matter what, King Kong can beat, like, like if we're comparing it to boxers, like, King Kong is, like, the Floyd Mayweather of this of this island. And anybody that steps on his turf is going to get their ass kicked. And so, like, if Godzilla or, like, Mothra or, like, any of these monsters come in, they're going to get their ass kicked. And it's just sure. basically just, like, WWE, like, call-out of, like, <laughs> like Stone Cold so, Steve yeah. Austin, like, I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> so, yeah. Two, two skull mo- That's how I monster points that I wanted to bring up was, one, obviously, the, the suicide grenades, just super tragic. Mm-hmm. But as soon as, uh... <laughs> Kong beat the big one. I was like, is anybody going to tell Brie Larson that he stuck? He had her in his palm that he stuck (laughs) in that skull monster's throat. And she's an Oscar winning actress. Is anybody going to tell her when she comes out of there? Like, yeah, he had you in your, in, in his palm and you were inside of that skull monster. And then he ripped you out. Yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was, yeah gross and kind of, i mean kind of like comical i was like oh man that, he just... that is exactly what i was thinking in that scene though i'm like he she is still in the ball she of his is hand. still in his hand and he <laughs> stuck his hand down that thing's throat <laughs> to be fair so. it did it did try to swallow his arm but yeah it like yeah. wraps his tongue around his arm and then is like the thing the, the thing the... i love about kong is that like they like john c Riley like says that like he's just a baby like this isn't even even his like like grow. this isn't even isn't yeah. his peak that like like yes he's big and like oh my god kong is big this is like an awesome kong design like i love big monsters we know it with <laughs> cloverfield <laughs> like no like, like, Connor like kong, kong's great likes monsters. but like no way but but like here's the thing because like i've also seen the other godzilla and kong movies uh with godzilla versus king kong i do think that he is bigger and it's just crazy that like to see like baby godzilla or baby king kong like fight these monsters and knowing like oh this guy this guy's about to go like like hulkamania in like the next like movies and just a real quick like kind of kind of build off of what you were saying earlier though with the end credit scene and them like you know lining up for all of these sequels to kind of go off of like my point where i'm like that like that's sort of like my my biggest uh my biggest sticking point with the movie is the hang up between 
the the allegory and like the franchise because it's like they want to build up all these sequels and they want to build up monarch but yeah it's like we're looking back at this and it's like we got to remember like this is tied to an allegory about the vietnam war it's like it it's almost like if like the first fast and furious movie was like had like a really strong like anti-drinking and driving message and it was like that was like the whole point of this movie and then you have the rest of this series which is like not that at all um, you, you, you could compare it to like X Men. Yeah. Well, I I know what you're saying with like Fast and Furious, but like you could compare it to X Men, where like Magneto is like Magneto like comes from uh uh what's it called the Holocaust, you know, like he he's a Holocaust yeah. survivor, and and it like that's also like a very heavy subject, and I know like some of the movies take it very seriously, like X Men First Class and stuff. But, like, there's, like, Days of Future Past where, like, they hint that Magneto was the one that killed JFK. <laughs> that he curved yeah. the bullet. And so it's just, it's something where, like, that that is interesting of, like, I understand what you're saying. And it's, like, that's where, like, yeah, that old history stuff of, like, what are you trying to say versus, like, trying to, like, say something because it's cool. Because, it, yeah, like you're saying, like, you have things like Transformers where it's, like, oh, like the Decepticon or Transformers have been around since the moon landing. But then the next movie, they're like, well, actually they've been around since uh, caveman times. Actually, no, they've been around since uh, the, the dinosaurs. And it's like, okay, well, what, what are we talking about here? Like, I, I, I like the idea of alternate history, but like, what is the allegory or like, what are you trying to say with changing this history type of thing? Yeah. And, and I do agree with you of like, the future sequels don't really acknowledge yeah like the future sequels don't really acknowledge the vietnam war yeah Yeah. and that's what i'm saying so like you're talking about the x-men and the x-men you're it's like multiple movies this past that they're making and these ties to these historical events um like they come up and they inform characters like multiple times throughout their their arcs you know in these series of movies but it's like this isn't gonna they're not gonna apply this to the other ones because this movie is so you know, this movie is, like, so directly about the Vietnam War, but, like, King Kong as a character inside this larger universe isn't going to be, like, you know, he's he's not there to, like, rep Vietnam. You know what I mean? Anyway. Anyway, so uh, are there any other points about this film that we want to bring up? I was just going to say I cried at the end with the little John C. Riley thing. Yeah, I didn't really think that was as moving as as you did. Um, I I I think he's probably my favorite part about the movie. But yeah, the ending was just kind of like, well, uh-huh. I made a mis- I made a mistake of watching because I really what I was trying to do was was get some some analysis videos on YouTube mm-hmm. of the film, and I ended up watching Cinema Sins. Oh yeah. And they made a pretty good point about, yeah, they made a pretty good point though about, um, essentially like, why are there like eight different angles with this? Oh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That is such a cinema take on that (laughs) though. That they're like, oh, we had a whole camera crew. Yeah. We have an entire camera crew for this surprise visit home. (laughs) And we're getting a real reaction. I mean, it's just an, yeah. It's just an uh, aesthetic choice, but it, it is 
the the thing I wanted to shout out is just a Chicago boy. Like shout out to the Cubs. Shout out to shout him like the, the Cubs. Cubs. Yeah, but what's gonna <laughs> be a, what's gonna be a baby bear in a fight? It's a it's a tiger. <laughs> because because a cub because a cub is just a small bear. <laughs> like that's a no brainer. I, that. oh, I loved that um Chicago Detroit yeah. conversation. That's good. Yeah. Um God, he's like, so it's funny. a baby bear. Of course a tiger's gonna beat a bear is gonna kill a baby bear. <laughs> yeah. I will I will yeah. say, like speaking to John John C. Riley, like just talking about like my favorite scene with him is that this movie is PG thirteen and they use in PG-13 movies, you get one use of the F-word. Just and one. <laughs> his use of the F-word is so good. When he's like, you don't want to go out in the forest? Like, there's <laughs> there's giant ants. Like, birds that look like ants. You think it's oh, a bird, like, but it's a fucking but ant. it's a fucking ant. <laughs> 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 like, it's so good. <laughs> like, damn. like, that's as good as Fast and Furious 5 with <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson saying the F-word. I'm like, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, he's very funny. Yeah, I just I I thought that I did I did really like the John C. Riley character though, and like, I'm, all right, they're cinemasins. They're not technically wrong I with know. that point. I just I I, I made that mistake. Yeah. I I, I, sh- I shouldn't I, get yes. so nitpicky. Yeah, I just liked <laughs> that we we basically got to see play out what John C. Riley is like describing on the boat when like everybody's trying to like apologize to him, where they're like, oh, you know. Like I'm sorry that it's more more likely than not like your wife has moved on and John C. Riley's character is like yeah, yeah that makes sense because it's like I the thing that I thought was time. yeah the thing that I thought was really interesting with his character is that like they get to play with this dichotomy where like he's a soldier that he's already he, like he's already fought in this war and he's already had this like perspective of like I I've fought and like I don't necessarily I like I don't I don't necessarily praise what i was told to do by my government right Mm -hmm. and so like he has this sort of perspective and he's surrounded by these younger people that are like currently serving in the vietnam war and like he it's like he's seeing them sort of like get to this same conclusion like slowly but he's also trying to like he's like trying to like nudge them towards it like over the course of the movie like guy like to, to like when they're in the standoff and he says you know it's not right like when they're when he wants to blow up Kong, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Yeah, you know it's not right. Um Or even just like yeah. Right. yeah, like the main the main the main soldier that he interacts with, like 'cause like yeah, the group splits apart and the one soldier that interacts with Tom Hiddleston and John C. Riley and stuff is the actor that is from from what I know him from is me Earl the Dying Girl <laughs> and stuff. Um, but yeah, like, like his, his whole character arc is like, yeah. yeah, trying to slowly convince him of like, yeah, like this isn't like not necessarily like this isn't right, but like, you know, like think, think about it, you know, like, like, like I've been here yep. for a while and it's just like, like, like I, I fought with this Japanese, you know, person and like, we ended up becoming brothers. Like once when we got rid of the war aspect, you know, and, and they were, you know, they, they pretty much were, were blood brothers and like yeah. him like trying to like told him like he was gonna you know leave with him and it ended up he he died on the island and stuff so it, it is an interesting like i agree with you probably like it is an interesting perspective of chauncey riley's character of like this this old veteran that just kind, kind of gives up but then like yeah with his end his ending is so beautiful of just like 
actually getting his wife and kids and then getting what he what he loved of the most beautiful thing of a hot dog and a beer and watching the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, well, do that because I was under the impression that his wife did move on, and that was just like it came full circle. Yes, it's like she has a wedding ring on. I don't really scene. think it matters. Yeah, but it's just like that was sort of like yeah, like it plays out, and he's just got his little he's just got his little moan at the end. So like that got to me, but it is definitely like a we're deliberately going to just try to like tug at your emotions here. Yeah, and so yes. like yeah, I mean they got me on that. They got me on the little sucker punch. I'll admit that. All right. Well, nobody else has said it yet, so I'm going to say it. Um, I just wanted to think. I don't care about your elbow. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm not going to lie. I <laughs> wanted to thank you, Seabear, for picking this movie. Because I got two hours of looking at Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, he is. In hey, just you wait. He is absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. in this movie. Almost too much. Just, mm-hmm. I'm just, just like, I can't even wait. look at you. I can't even look at you. And then like, they you're give too him... pretty. You are, that's too much. That's too much. Anyway. And then they got to give him a slow-mo running the slow-mo through. The slow-mo pterodactyl oh. fight. Because, yeah. because yeah, the cinematographer they, they is from 300. They had to. They established, <sighs> yeah. they established him as this badass with his intro scene and then he really doesn't get an opportunity to show off those skills except for that one scene yeah <laughs> he gets and the so gas like, mask no. with the katana he gets, oh. and he takes he takes off the gas mask while the gas is still around him but he looks good so yeah it's fine they said, listen, listen, they got th- they got 75% of the way through <laughs> shooting that scene. And they said, we're really going to have Tom Hiddleston in slow motion. We're not even going to show that face. I mean, come on now. <laughs> yeah, just just you wait, Emma. I've, yeah, I've already. We can't have the. We I, can't have that handsome up, face. I'm trying to come up with the month no, for uh, Crimson Peak. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, like, cool. you'll, you'll get more Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> more time in the future. Speaking of the future, uh, next week, I well, have don't we, uh, the movie. Wait, what, we, what, we're uh, not getting what, into what, that yet. Oh, we got to do our ratings. Yeah, we got to talk about uh, our ratings. Yeah, we got to do our ratings first. Little teaser. Little <laughs> teaser. <laughs> JK Wolves. <laughs> All right. Seabear, this Damn, is your movie. What's your pick? What's your rating? And why? Yeah, so originally, on my notes... I gave it a 10 out of 10 that I had to scratch it off because I realized I can't give every movie that I pick a 10 out of 10. Um, but it was mainly because I started reading more of the letterbox reviews and things like that. And then even just like a newer discussion was kind of not just bring down the rating, but just more of like, I know I can't like, I know in my heart of hearts, it's a 10 out of 10, but as like a film critic and just more of like, just like an overall rating, I'm like, I got to give it an eight out of 10. I'm like, because okay. because like like we said, like the Brie Larson's character is definitely like lacking. There's definitely some subplots that could have, you know, been explored a little bit more or things here and there. But I'm like the the real reason, like I think most people can get behind with me is like, I think that this is a banger of a kaiju movie that this is just like <laughs> something that's different out of hey. out, out of like all the other like kaiju movies that we've gotten and stuff like this is like the one that like stands out the most and it's something that like i wish more people appreciated at the time or at least like gave it more praise because like the fact that 
the more kaiju movies that we've gotten since then it's just kind of been lacking and it's just kind of like ugh. and even like other blockbusters but this is something where i'm hey. like this this movie this movie rules my letterbox review was dear billy this movie fucking rules so yeah in <laughs> an eight out of ten an eight is still good that's yeah that's a that's yes. solidly above average yeah it is especially yes. since the <laughs> average for this movie is like i think a three it is a yeah it's pretty low so that's not that's not great but it's also yeah, not bad yeah. either that's like kind of middle literally middle yeah. road yeah so freddie what's your rating for kong skull island um i think that i would say i think i would go like seven out of ten like three and a half out of five um because it's like the <laughs> you know the the effects are there um there were scenes that did have me like you know, I like I I did find myself getting into it, um, and I can I can see what they're trying to do. It's just like more of the points that are knocked off with me are my, you know, my sort of my critiques of the the allegory that they were going for. Those are the parts where I'm like, you know, you want you wanted to do this. That's a very difficult thing to do, and I think they could have handled it with a little more like. Uh, grace and intent, but overall, I would still say that I would I would put it at I would put it at three and a half seven. Yeah, I have the same rating to three and a half out of ten or out of five, so a seven out of ten. <laughs> uh, for a lot of the same reasons, I think that. Um, yeah, I think that. John C. Riley fits the tone of a King Kong movie better than trying to do an allegory of one of the worst moments in American history. And uh, he he was definitely a highlight for me. I just, I just, you know, he's just a funny person. I just, anytime he's in something, he just, <laughs> he, he he's just great, you know? And so... But I think the movie was kind of like trying to do this serious thing, and then he, and then you meet John C. Riley, and it immediately the tone changes, yeah. and so it kind of like just doesn't fit. Like I would, I would have loved to have like maybe a more consistent tone throughout, um, and then of course like the visual effects are just phenomenal, just stellar. That I mean, I was just blown away by that. I love baby. Literally yeah. just, you know, elite level visual effects. And then, yeah, I didn't Power necessarily one. appreciate a lot of the character development. Like, I didn't think there needed to be as many characters on the island as there were. And uh, I just think it kind of gets convoluted. Um, and yeah, I just, I mean, I I still think three and a half is pretty solid. I mean, it's not as solid as an eight, you know, a four out of five uh, for me. It's kind of like a C plus, I would say, you know, like if I were thinking about it in those terms. So Teacher. it passes. It's entertainment and it is good. I mean, it is good production. So it's like I'm going to I'm going to give it its flowers. So, yeah. Freddie, now we can Hell move yeah. on to, you um... know, I was going to say <laughs> you're talking about John C. Riley and the tone shift. And you know what that makes me think of? <laughs> it makes me think of the duality of man. 
My pick is, Here is our segue. Full Metal Jacket. Okay, there it is. <laughs> um, Whoa! The Kubrick classic. We're finally going to get into Stanley Kubrick, who, yeah. who uh, we, we're going to have a conversation about. Which I didn't... I. Emma, you had told me previously, but I, I, I just didn't put it together until right before we sat down to record this that neither one of you have seen Full Metal Jacket. I'm telling you, Vietnam movies are a huge blind spot for me. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket. Well, mine, it's been mine's just not just like Vietnam. Mine's just Kubrick as a whole. I haven't seen a lot of Kubrick movies. Like the only two Kubrick movies I've seen is The Shining and Clockwork Orange. I've seen a few wow. Kubrick movies, but oh, and not... and 2001 recently yeah. but yeah, yeah. Like, but, but this one uh, otherwise seen, i haven't gone down the rabbit hole i've seen 2001 i've seen the shining i've seen clockwork orange i've seen um oh, okay shit we gotta go back we gotta go back we gotta go back we gotta go back to kong okay or we could talk about it no, next just, week what, what were you gonna what were you gonna say dr strange love yeah i had a feeling but Go on. The f- <laughs> the final song of Kong is the final song from Doctor Strange. Oh yeah, hey. We'll meet again. Mm-hmm. Don't know where. where. Don't, don't know, know when. So you get to hear our uh, my atrocious singing voices, everybody. <laughs> sorry, but um, when they started singing that at the end of Kong, I was like, oh my god, they are not doing Doctor Strange Love right now. They are not. Yeah. Anyway, I think there was just a romantic scene. Well, that song <laughs> is not because I've never seen Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> in the context of Doctor Strange Love, it is not meant yeah. to be romantic. It is meant to be foreboding. Yeah, well, Kubrick loves irony, so yes. like that's I mean that yeah. we, that's how we get the singing in the rain scene. Yeah, um, from a Clockwork Orange. Yeah. but yeah. So <laughs> where I think where, I've seen another one, though, another Kubrick movie. Have you seen uh, like Eyes Wide Shut? Oh. I love Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, I actually haven't seen. I Eyes love Wide Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> That's um, a good one. Um, yeah. So anyway, we're gonna watch a Kubrick movie, yeah, guys. We're gonna watch Full Metal Jacket. I'm excited oh, for yeah. you all to see it. Um, I have another movie that is going to be in my recently watched uh, next week because I've only seen half of it so far, and I think it will be really interesting to talk about that movie at the beginning, going into our discussion on Full Metal Jacket, but. I do think that this will be a really interesting dichotomy between Kong Skull Island and uh, their depictions of Vietnam and then Full Metal Jacket. Cause, because, well, you'll see. Yeah. <laughs> so. And we will reveal my pick and the last pick of the month next week. So yes. we'll hold off on that for now. So before we... Have another episode. Watch Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, which was released in 1987. Where, where can we find that? Seabury, hit us with the links. You can find, rent it. They can, they can find Full Metal Jacket on, as of this recording, on Paramount Plus. Or you can rent it on Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, or Vudu. Or find your local library. Find your local library, go somewhere that sells used DVDs, and look for anything that says for of Stanley Kubrick. It'll probably be on there. So I found yes. I <laughs> too. Own it. Never seen it, but I own it on DVD because I found it at a garage sale. Or no, a yard sale. 
<laughs> there you go. And a box of DVDs. I was all, I'll take that. Yeah. Never seen it, but I'll take it. It was $1, you know? What are you going to do? That's how I'm going to watch it. So looking forward to it. All right. Um, that's going to be it for today. Thanks for listening. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Freddie for editing and putting together our episodes. And oh, also you. to Oasi, who is doing our theme music um, that you hear at the beginning yes. and the end yes, of our yes, episodes. Yes, yes. What's the name of the song again? It's like Daybreak. Daybreak, yes. Daybreak. Okay, so thank you to Oasi so for that music. It's great. Thank you very much, brother. Yeah. All right, guys, we will see thank you, you thank next you. week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Goodbye. See you in the next one. Bye. Goodbye.